0: Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome to the After Narrative, everyone. We're so glad that you came along with us today because we are part of another exciting journey of the life of Jacob and one that everybody kind of remembers because of how awesome he is. And the story of Jacob continues in Genesis 33. <laughs> I was just sorry, I was just having a little bit of fun with you guys who listen to me at different speeds because, quite frankly, it's weird, right? I, I, even for me. If I listen to myself at the normal speed, I think I sound really slow and almost like drunk. And then I listen to myself at like one and a half, and I think that's that's normal. And then I'll slow it back down to normal speed, and I think, wow, you talk really slow. So I was talking to my producer about it, and he said he said that when you because I I love doing and you know in essence was trained in live speaking, I'm used to allowing my facial expressions and hand gestures and my walking back and forth and up and down. Uh, the stage or the aisles to kind of compensate for the fact that I don't speak really fast. And so I have learned. I, I think I learned a lot after doing the first year of the Epic Narrative. And now we are well into the second year of the of of the Epic Narrative. And I think I've gotten better. Uh, my pacing, I think, is better this year than last year. But still, I think you're still awfully slow, <laughs> which makes me wonder if I do have, uh, shall we say adult beverages like my favorite kind which you can go to my website and see what my favorite kind is but like i wonder like i know often you usually talk slower when you're when you're a little inebriated because you're trying to make sure that you're enunciating correctly because you don't want to sound like you're inebriated and i'm thinking i must talk really slow (laughs) which is probably why my wife's like um did you have some rum today honey and i'll be like no Everything is fine. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me uh, every week, and uh, I appreciate the just the encouragement it is that at some level this passion of mine for the goodness of God gets out. I think it's so vital as we uh, recapture the identity of of who we're who we are and who God created us to be. That we recapture it from the beginning. That we don't just recapture it under, quote, the new covenant. Because then there's always this God on the other side of the covenant. Like, like on the other side of Jesus. And he's like, can't wait to get through because he just wants to kill somebody. Oh, all this pent up anger. But then he looks at us through the blood of Christ and he says, oh, I love them. Their sins are all paid for. I can calm down. But then I really want to kill him. No, I can't, I can't. Jesus no, 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 no. And I just can't, I just can't, even with that kind of, of God. I just can't. And I don't blame people who uh who have in essence walked away from the church because God just is not a good guy. No, he's just not a nice guy. Like we went through that whole thing where I where I went off on the on the whole preaching about the submission of women and the role of women and men have needs and Women are to meet those needs, blah, blah, BS. And like they look at God and they say, this is what God's plan is. And I think, no, you can't say that and make that match up with who God says he is and who God showed himself to be in Jesus. So all of that to say, once again, I appreciate my listeners and I appreciate you guys passing me around. (laughs) Uh, uh, passing me to other friends and people who might need it. And I understand they might not listen to the whole podcast, but if there's one or two, you know, in particular, just, just send them the link. Say, hey, just check this, check out this part of the story. Check out, you know, this, whatever. It's, uh, I appreciate that. I know that gets done. Uh, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. All right, we're in Genesis chapter 33. If you remember, we ended last episode with the sun coming up. Jacob has a new name. His name's Israel. He's got a bit of a limp because, well, something popped his hip out of socket and he had to walk with a limp as his son was coming up. And and in that new day, new name, new identity, like there's a whole lot of stuff going on that gives him a perspective. But it says, as he looked up. So it doesn't mean that he was like on the ground and he stood up, although it could it could mean that it could also mean that Esau uh, uh well he looked up and saw Esau that Jacob was uh, Israel sorry was walking off you know off the off in the distance he's looking toward the land that he knows he's here to possess he's looking toward the promise he's wondering kind of what happened all night long i don't think he's tired even though i know wrestling is very tiring i know i, I said that uh, last you know in the last episode that it is an exhausting sport I don't think he's tired because when you encounter uh the love of God when you have an encounter with heaven it it doesn't affect you physically I know people that have you know they they dream right they dream all night long and and it would be exhausting to a lot of people but but with with heaven's encounters you're not exhausted I've met people who have preached for 24 hours straight no exhaustion. I've met people who have laughed for 48 hours, no exhaustion, no, no pain. Like there's something about an encounter with heaven that puts you in the frequency of eternity. And so your, your levels of exhaustion are non-existent. Your strength is eternal. Your peace and hope and and love is eternal. Like all of that, uh, that, that is available to us literally all the time. If we just get into tune with what what is available to us. It's not even like out there, we have to find it. Like it's literally available to us. Some people uh, describe, you know, some people who seem to be able to tap into it quickly, they talk about, uh, well, I don't know about unfortunately, but they're often called like mystics, you know, gurus, um, uh, forerunners, they're out there, but they talk about it being such a thin veil. Like it's so easy to pass between one place and the other. And I know that um, uh, Melchizedek was considered one of those characters who could just pass between. Uh, Enoch was another one of those characters who seemed to be able to pass between heaven and earth without even, in essence, without traveling. Because heaven is here all the time. It's it's at a spiritual plane that is just one that we are generally unaware of. But Adam and Eve would have been aware, aware of it all the time. All the time. And so would their sons and daughters that they'd had. So there's a, there's a level of awareness that I think comes. And part of that awareness is you're not exhausted. So even though Jacob had been up all night, so to speak, and had theoretically exerted himself all night, he did not feel tired. So he looks up and there was Esau. He was coming with his 400 men. So here's, he looks up and he, he, And again, it's that idea of like gazing out over the desert and he sees this probably this cloud of dust and he can he can see the, you know, the dark figures of horses or or a lot of times they used mules, which I know for us sometimes in the Western culture, we think donkeys, but donkeys were and are almost uh, very often the same size as a horse. They're just far more sure footed than horses. They can they're stronger in that area. They don't tend to twist their ankles as much. Horses are like locomotives on on you know pencils. Like you you look at a horse and and everything about it says when these guys start running their legs should just shatter given the amount of weight that they are carrying on top. Donkeys tend to be a little more sturdy cuz they they tend to be built a little differently. So they are a very reliable source of transportation especially in the deserts. Anyways, these 400 men are coming. They see it. I don't know if this means Esau was traveling all night because it says when, you know, uh, in at the end of chapter 32, verse 31, it says, the sun rose above him as he passed Penal, and he was limping because of his hip. So the idea that the sun is already up and is over him probably means it's not dawn. But it doesn't. Uh, you, you can you can you can imagine this any way you want. This is the epic narrative. You can put together your own picture. But I have a feeling it's probably mid morning. He looks up. He sees the the cloud of dust coming. He hasn't heard back from the servants that he sent ahead with all of the flocks. Remember, and and if they're not back yet, it probably means that they've already met Esau and something has happened. And what he sees happening now is that Esau is moving quickly. And like he's still, the shepherds aren't in front of him. So he's left the shepherds kind of behind with the flocks. I don't know if he, you know, well, we'll find out later. But at this point, Jacob doesn't, or Jacob, I know his name's also Israel. Oh, it's going to get confusing. Generally, the, the scripture keeps calling him Jacob. So I keep looking at the verses and I see Jacob, but I know technically he changed his name last night. So bear with me as we move along. So he doesn't know what Esau done with the shepherds. He doesn't know if Esau has sent him along to his house, if Esau said, listen, just hang out here. I need to go talk to my brother. We don't know. Jacob has no idea what's going on. So he decides to come up with a new plan. Rather than have his uh, family separated into two camps in case he's coming under attack, he's confident now that he is there to possess the land, that the Lord's going to keep him safe. He's trusting whatever being it was that he wrestled with the night before. So Esau is close. Now, does that mean Esau traveled all night? I have no idea. Does that mean that the angel that, uh, that Jacob was wrestling with was actually Esau's angel? And the two of them wrestled it out and finally, in essence, wrestled out a peace agreement between the two brothers, between the two nations? And when the angel left, Jacob knew, I'm going to be at peace with my brother? Because what he does here... Is different than what he did the night before. What he did the night before it was he divided his children so that when they were attacked, at least half of his family would survive. Now, what he does is he divides up his children amongst his his two wives and the two servants that are secondary wives, and he and he put them out in front. In other words, he's he's literally setting up a grand introduction. Of, of everybody. So he puts out uh, the female servants and their children, Leah and her children, then Rachel and Joseph in the rear. So just the two of them, which is, is just interesting to me. They're the last people to meet. They're the most valuable ones. So he really does do the same thing his father did, which is play favorites. So often, right, we see that. You become like your family if you don't consciously try to change something you become it, even if even if in your head, it's like, I will never, I will never. There's so many people that have said that to me, right? My parents got divorced and I said, I will never do that. And then they end up getting divorced. They're like, I swore I would never do this. But what you focus on, you become. We learned that from Jacob, actually, when, with the spotted and speckled and striped uh, sheep and goats. What you focus on, you become. You reap what you sow. And if you... If you say to yourself, if, if your focus is, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, in essence, you focus on something and you do become that. I've seen the same thing with smokers and drinkers and gamblers. They say, I swore I'd never do this. I never want to do this. Or abusers. I told my, I would never, you know, I would never hit my wife. Or I would never hit my child. And now I'm, you know, I'm out of control. You reap what you sow, you reap what you sow. You you become what you focus on. So he's playing favorites. He literally lines up his family in favor of uh, hierarchy or the hierarchy of his favor. So he himself went out in front. So he's basically setting up the family and he's saying, all of this belongs to me and I want to I am open. I am available for relationship. I want to introduce everybody to you. Now, if the angel, of course, had lied, then that was going to be a pretty nasty thing. Or if Esau had decided not to submit to what the angel had interacted with, yes, that is my opinion. I think the angel that Jacob wrestled with was the angel of the nation, and I think his strength came from the angel of of his nation, and the two of them wrestled. And Jacob negotiated a peace treaty and the and the nations agreed. So Esau, I think, is coming into this thinking, we're all good. We're all good. Uh, so he stands in front. And Esau really only wants Jacob. Right? If there's trouble, this is a this is almost like a plan B. I think Jacob is out front or Israel's out front saying all of this is mine and I want to introduce, like, this is my peace treaty. I think his secondary thought is, listen, if Esau wants to kill me, he can kill me. I will be the first one out there. I'm not going to hide behind my possessions and hide behind my my family. I'm going to stand out front. And if Esau wants to cut my head off, he'll cut my head off. And the rest of the family is still my family. All my children are there. My sons are my sons, and they will you know they will carry the family on. So he stands out in front and and at some level, he's got to be wondering, you know like what's what's happening? Like this is that, I don't know if you want to call it a moment of truth, but it's definitely uh, you know the the time period of truth. What's gonna happen? What happened last night? Is any of this real? Did I hear from God correctly? On and on it goes. And it says in verse four, oh, sorry, verse end of verse three, Jacob goes out front. They're close enough to see each other. He knows Esau's out in front of his army. He knows that Esau sees him and knows who it is. Now, remember, they're both in their 80s. And he bows down seven times, just, just keeps bowing down, like, yes, 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 peace, 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 peace. I'm available for relationship. Peace, 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 peace. And Esau... Jumps off his horse or his donkey and he runs to meet Jacob and he embraced him and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed them and they kissed him and they wept. This is just one of those beautiful things. And everything about the language in these verses it indicates like a very sincere, heartfelt greeting. They were, they were probably you know, each of them were probably in their own ways actually surprised at the sincerity and the intensity of the meeting. They probably looked, you know, they probably were looking internally going, wow, I really actually missed my brother. And then they're thinking, this is so amazing. I had no idea that I've missed you so much. And I think sometimes we miss, you know, we forget in this moment, they were twins. And there are I know a few twins, and they have told me it is it is a weird bond that they have, and it doesn't matter if they haven't spoken for a while. Uh, I know I know uh, two of the twins I'm speaking of are girls, and they talk about how they will sense each other's emotions even though they're separated by you know a hundred plus miles. and and they will they will get a sense of like, I need to call my sister like she's going through something. And it's not that nobody else can sense this. It's just that I think it's heightened. The frequency of, of internal connection is heightened in, in the twins system. And again, to me, it's part of the frequency of heaven. I think we can we can get into the ability to accurately interact with other people's frequencies and understand and have empathy for what they're going through and be able to communicate to them the love and joy of heaven when we're around. I think we do that without our, even without our knowledge. And I think when we understand it, we actually can heighten it and we can intensify it. I know for me, I generally carry a lot of joy, just, just kind of intuitively. I carry joy. I I also carry, you know, peace and love and joy, uh, peace and love and hope as well. But I know because I'm, I'm generally carry joy. I know that it's not unusual for my path to cross those who are not very joyful. And so I find myself being around them and I'll I, even if I'm not talking to them, I will I will internally start to just like like s- spread out, no, not spread out, shoot out what I would call like frequencies or waves of joy. And there are times that I'm in I'm in an environment where it's super intense and there's a lot of anger and things are desperate and I know that if I just sit in that room I can bring hope to a situation. Not necessarily answers, I'm not gonna solve everything just by showing up, not yet anyways. But I know that because I was in that room, things were not as bad as they would have been if I hadn't been there. That somebody wasn't as sad or depressed or desperate or hopeless if I hadn't been there. Because I understand the frequency of heaven that I carry. Okay, it shouldn't just be one frequency, but I understand what the frequency of heaven within me uh, can, can release when I'm around people. And I know for some, you might be listening to this going, Bob, you're kind of, you know, this is kind of new agey. like, I don't think this is Christian. Well, then you're, you're just, that's fine. Like you can just toss it out, but I would encourage you to put it on a level of curiosity, because if you go back to the beginning, which I know I've been saying pretty much every episode since we started, you've got to go back to the beginning. We all had that. We all had our awareness of, of the frequency of heaven we all understood what our image of god create that we were created in carried to the environment around us and the environment around us responded that's what happened with adam and eve the environment responded the plants responded the animals responded and in that moment they would they would interact with heaven and they knew it and i think we still have that i just think it's become so dull through all kinds of things you you can throw in anything you want media Um, (laughs) drugs, alcohol, uh, food, um, entertainment. Like there's just all kinds of things that will, that decrease our awareness of the frequency of heaven that we carry. And it's important, I think, to at least start putting some effort into energizing it, into increasing the, the, our awareness of the frequency and then, uh, the distribution of it, the, the dome around us. I know it's a cheesy movie right twilight i i read all the books i was a youth pastor at the time and all my junior high girls were reading it and i was like i got to know what they're reading so i read them all Oh, what a soap opera but her uh, her i oh i don't even remember her name i can see the actress though i did i watched all the movies too i know oh bella bella's bella's gift right that ability to send out a dome to me, is a very good picture of what we can do with the with the frequency of heaven within us. We can create a dome around us that brings people in or encompasses people or protects people from what is coming against them. And even though they might, you know, we don't have to be, we don't have to be verbalizing it. Like, oh, everybody come near me. I'm an amazing person. And if you just stay near me, you'll be happy. We we don't we don't have to do that. Uh, I would, I would highly recommend you not do that, but you can sit in a coffee shop. You can sit around a campfire. You can sit in a large concert hall and you can go, you can, you know, close your eyes or just take that moment to be like, okay, I'm going to send out a, a, I'm just going to put out a dome of heaven so that everybody here just for whatever reason, just has a better time than they thought they would. They have more hope than they came in with. They have more joy than they thought they had. They're at peace when they're in this room. Now, they might blame it on something else. They might blame it on their cologne. They might blame it on the music. They might blame it on their on their boyfriend or girlfriend. But, but you can be confident that what you're doing matters. Okay, you really... Oh, I was like... Bob's like, Bob? Bob? I know, I know. Okay, so I think that there was an awareness that Esau and... Jacob had about each other and I don't think Esau ever sent messengers or messages to Jacob and I don't think Jacob ever sent messages back to Esau to see how each other was doing but I do think they knew how each other was doing because the the pipeline of shepherds right they both had shepherds they both had herds and herds of animals they both had influence on the marketplace remember uh where um Da-da-da, Where Jacob was living was like in northwest Mesopotamia. He was along the Fertile Crescent. He would have been along one of the main trade routes, so it would not have been unusual for him to hear about how his brother Esau was doing. People would have recognized him and said, "Oh, wait! Don't you have a brother in the, you know, in the southern part of the of the Canaanite land?" "Yeah, I actually do. Well, he's doing great, by the way. You should see his flocks. You should see the He has a, you know, whatever." He has multiple wives and lots of lots of children and messages would have got back. Esau would have been like, yeah, so where'd you come from? Oh, we came from the land of Nimrod. I forget the name of it. He's like, oh, did you travel through this part of Mesopotamia? Yeah. Did you happen to hear about a guy named Jacob? Yeah, I did actually. I ran into him. He's working for uh, a guy named Laban. Laban is not a nice man, but we we deal with Jacob as much as we can. He's one of the nicest people we know very fair, and if anything's wrong with the sheep, he takes full responsibility. He doesn't pass it off to Laban to take care of. He'll pay us what we need to be paid, or he'll trade what we need to be traded. He's a great guy. Would not want to live with Laban, though. He is a nasty, nasty man. So I think Esau knew about things, and I think he had forgiven his brother years ago for what had happened, because in essence, for the last 20 years, his everything his brother took from him, his Esau had got back. He lived in the wealth and, and uh, honor of the, of the birthright and the blessing because Jacob wasn't around. So after 20 years, he's like, I don't, like, I've got more than enough. Well, If I, you know, Jacob's coming back. Did he invite him back? No, nope. but I think his heart had shifted and he was waiting. He was surprised at how much he was waiting for his twin brother to come back. They, these are two men that are in their 80s. They have years of life and experience that they've not been able to talk about. There's, there's something about the twins. There's something about their frequency, about their connection. And we see that here because it says, uh, Esau looked up. This is after they had kissed and wept. I'm sure all the wives and, and servants and all the kids are like, whoa. <laughs> What's going on with Dad? what is what is all what is all this? I'm sure that there's a sense of relief. Remember the night before when they went to bed, they were divided into two camps. they they the fear and, and stress of Jacob was permeating the atmosphere. They had guards around all night waiting to be you know waiting to see Esau coming with his art with his army and he would they would be like, get up and run, get up and run. So you don't sleep really well when you know an alarm is going to go off. At least I don't. You know, if I set an alarm, which is very seldom because I tend to wake up pretty early anyway. But if I set an alarm because I have to make sure to get up at 4 a.m. to take somebody to the airport, which I love to do. I don't sleep good because I keep thinking, oh, the alarm. I I hope the alarm doesn't go off. I hope the alarm doesn't go off. I hope the alarm doesn't go off. So I'm up at like, you know, 1.30, 2, 2 2.15, 2.45, 3.00. 3:45, 3:45, and now I'm panicked, and now I just get out of bed. Well, you don't have to get up till 4. Yeah, I know, but it's 3:45. I got, I gotta get up. I gotta get up. Some, I gotta get up. Shut off the alarm. I'm up. I'm dressed, and I'm out the door at 4 o'clock, when I should have just been getting out of bed. And I had, and I don't have to leave till 4:30. I'm, I'm on the road at 4, 4 o'clock, because it's like I just, I just don't want to be late. It's just the way, it's just the way I'm wired. So when I picture what's going on for the families that night. I think the moms are up like every 15 minutes, every time a child moves, every time you know a, a servant walks by. What, is everything okay? Is everything okay? If I'm a teenager in that camp, I'm up all night. I'm up all night. I am jacked. I got a little fire going. I got a, maybe a couple of my brothers hanging out. We're all like, What's, what do you think? You think they are coming? Do you think do you hear something? I mean, there's all kinds of wild animals in the desert. All kinds of critters sliding around, creeping around. I'd be, I'd be wired. I would. I know me. I I definitely would fall asleep as well. Like about for 15, 20 minutes, and then I'd be like up again. Is everything okay? Everything's okay. And then I'd doze back off. I'd be dozing on and off all night. That that would be me. So this is the life that they're this is their evening, right? This is their night. They get up the next day. Dad's walking with a limp. He's talking. Not crazy, but he's talking about this angel that he met the night before. And he's like, I think everything's going to be fine. I really think everything's going to be fine. I want everyone together. We're going to go out and meet Esau. What? Last night we thought he was going to kill us. Tonight we're going to go, today we're going to go meet him. Yes, because I talked to an angel last night. I wrestled with him all night. He changed my name to Israel. I've seen the face of God. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to go meet Esau. Really? This is your plan. Last night, you had us scared to death. Today, you're telling us we're going to be part of a parade? I know. I know. The Lord works in mysterious ways. I don't know what he said, but I'm sure it was quite confusing, and I'm sure he had to kind of explain himself at least to his two first wives. Maybe not so much to the servant wives. Uh, His children were just going to do what they were told. That's the culture of the day, so... There's dad out front bowing down to his brother who's I don't think they're riding up fast I think they're just riding. And as they get up close Esau jumps off his horse and he runs toward his brother and he hugs him and kisses him and just starts weeping and they're just like oh my gosh this is amazing I can't believe how much I missed you. And they cried because they they should have they should have stayed in contact. Esau is probably regretting that he didn't reach out to Jacob and say, Come home, come home, everything's gonna be fine. Jacob's thinking, I should have, I should have reached out and said, Could you help me? Can, can I come back home? It had to be, it had to be quite a thing. And really, the, the language here is super intense. So when all of that is done, verse 5, Esau looked up and he saw the women and children. He goes, Who are these with you? Jacob said, these are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the male, the female servants came, and their children approached, and they bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came, and they bowed down. Last came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Now, uh, this idea of the parade is more than just a visual thing. He literally introduces Esau to each person. And I imagine some of them Esau probably had heard about. Oh, I, I think I heard about this one. So this is the, ser- you know, and he's, you know, re- rehearsing. Okay, so wait, this is the servant of your first wife, Leah, right? Okay, and she gave you this one, this? Okay, good. Oh, awesome. Wow, the Lord really has blessed you. And each one, he kind of, he gives them their name and talks about why they're named that. And if you remember, if you want to, you can go back to the other other chapters that we've covered, but each name has its own meaning especially from Leah remember when she had I think six sons and each one was all about was all about her emotional and and physical journey to try and feel loved and appreciated Uh, but she of course never did but it you know, all of those names come out as he introduces all of all of the servants' children. and then this is this is Rachel's servant, and she bore me this son, this son, and this son, and this is what they do, and this is how they help me. and and all of them bow down to Esau. It doesn't mean like they're on the ground in their face, but they bow down to him in honor and in humility, saying, basically, you are our uncle. You are, you know, our father's brother, and we honor you for that role. We honor you in that position. And so all of this parade goes on and on and on. This honestly had to be good grief, at least 45 minutes to an hour. And he finally gets to Rachel and to Joseph. And of course, in the nature of the hierarchy, uh, Esau knows this one is the one that he really loves. And this is the son that he actually claims as his inheritance. So Esau understands all of this. And in that understanding he he sees how god has brought much favor on him and uh sorry i'm read i'm looking for the verse there it is so after everybody's done esau looks at at uh, jacob and he says so i'm just curious why what was the meaning of all those flocks i kept running into a shepherd with sheep and then a shepherd with goats and then a then a herdsman with camels and a herds like what what is going on what are all this what what was all that about and he goes, well, that was to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, brother, my whatever. Esau's like, no, good grief, good grief. I have so much stuff, brother. You, I have plenty, more than enough. I am a very wealthy man. Keep everything for yourself. And Jacob's like, no, 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 no. If anything, if I found favor in your eyes, if this peace agreement between us is real, Please accept the gifts from me. To see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, or received me in face, uh, peace. He's saying it's like seeing the face of God because when seeing you and you're, you know, we hug and we kiss and we laugh and we're we're rehearsing each other's blessings. I'm realizing the promises of God are going to be are true. That I, you know, he he wasn't lying. Nothing. I wasn't making it up in my head. This wasn't wishful thinking. This is the legitimate promise of God coming true. So please take my gifts. Because for me, it's like it, it's like evidence that this is real. It's a reminder. It's almost like a living altar for him. All of those gifts are like a living reminder to you and to me that we live in peace together. So please accept it. And, and uh, he insisted. Like, it's an intense word. Jacob insisted, and Esau accepted. So although he kind of attempts to refuse the peace offering, I think in some way he just wanted to make sure that Jacob really wanted to live in peace, and and Jacob wanted to make sure Esau understood that this is really about us being at peace together. So he takes it all, and then it says, uh, uh, Esau accepted it, verse 12, then Esau said, let's be on our way, I'll come with you. Literally, what that means is I'm going to walk next to you. It's probably—I I don't think it's the middle of the day. It might be, but evidently it was—it was far enough in the day that they could have packed up and kind of headed on their way. And Jacob said, "Oh, you know, my—he kind of—he kind of protests against um, against the move. He basically says in his." The, the excuse he gives isn't like a hardcore excuse. It's kind of a, it kind of leaves, a, I think, a bitter taste in Esau's, uh, back of Esau's mouth. Like, ah, like I think he really thought everything was going great. He wanted to bring Jacob back to the towns that he lived in and the and the culture in which he basically ruled. And, and in bringing Jacob back, at some level, Jacob's like, no, because everybody's gonna think I serve you. And that's not the promise that I have. And it can get really messy when two leaders both want to lead and they're gonna head in different directions. And Jacob's like, I'm gonna keep following Yahweh. I'm gonna keep my my connection to heaven. And I think it's I don't think it's with you. So he makes it kind of a sorry excuse. The Lord knows if my children are tender, and I have to care for the for the sheep and for the cows that are nursing. And if I drive them too hard, the animals will die. All the you know the babies are gonna are gonna fall over and die. So you go ahead of me. I'll move along very slowly, and I'll meet you there. I'll come to my Lord at Seir. And Esau said, "I'll tell you what then. Okay, fine. You 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 don't want to you don't want me to walk with you." which, again, is a bit of a burn. Esau's, Esau's picking up what's what's being laid down here. And he goes, uh, let me leave some men with you. Let me leave some security. I mean, they're, they're, fam- like they're family. They protect the family, your family, my family. I got 400 men. Let me leave half of them with you. They'll make sure you get through all the land without being touched. Everybody will now know you and I are brothers. They know the kind of army that I run. They know the kind of land that I, you know, not land, the kind of... Uh, operations I run no one's gonna mess with you when they know that you're connected to me and Jacob says oh yeah well brother you're you are so kind and I I love you so much and uh, that that would be um, that would be great but listen why why do that just let me live in peace just let me just just the two of us just need to live in peace together. I just don't want you to kill me. Now, maybe Jacob saw this offer of troops as a way of manipulation and control. Maybe he was just super sensitive to it because of the land he'd come from uh, under Laban. Maybe his thought was, if I if I go and just serve under Esau, I'm, it's no better than serving under, under Laban. I'm still not my own man. If I accept the security of Esau then I, again, I'm submitting to the leadership of of Esau. I'm saying, you are protecting me. And all that I have here is now, uh, you know, people can say, well, he wouldn't have had that stuff if it wasn't for Esau's protection. And Jacob's got a lot going on in his mind. By rejecting all of this, he's also, in essence, putting his faith in what God has promised, God promised to protect him. God promised to prosper him. God promised to to allow, you know, to have his his children uh, be as numerous as the sand to possess the land. So at some level, Jacob, Israel, is putting his trust and faith in the promise of God. And if he had accepted any of these offers from Esau, people could have identified him as either a servant of Esau or only prospering because of Esau. And I'm sure... At a deep level, this hurt Esau. So that day, it says, uh, Esau started his way back to Seir. There's no like kiss goodbye. There's no hugging. There's no indication that the ceremony ended with the same kind of as in, of a as with the same sort of enthusiasm that it started with. And I think that what was said here, although it was, I do understand it was true, it had to be very hard for Jacob to say and it had to be very difficult for Esau to hear. So in verse 17, Jacob, however, didn't go towards Seir. He literally went a different direction. Which is, uh, that's, that's harsh. It's harsh. Uh, it says that, Uh, verse 18 right um, Jacob however went to Sakoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock which is why it's called Sakoth, which means shelters and Jacob came from Petar Aram he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city so that could be I don't know how far can you see across the desert three miles if there's no if there's no real hills, so it's it's a pretty good distance to just go for a walk. I mean, you can do it, but he's out there far enough away. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and he called it El Elohei Israel. Israel. I love that. So he called it, uh, basically, the God of Israel is mighty, or the mighty, mighty is the God of Israel. He basically called God his own God. He's like, this is, I am, I am God's child. But I do want to go back a little bit um, to verse 17, because the phrasing in the, in the language is really important. It says, Jacob, however, went to Succoth where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. And he called the place the cloth because of the shelters, right? It was a place of shelters. Evidently, he shows up in this area. He's near a city, but he doesn't want to go into the city. It's The name of the city is Shechem. The king's name is Shechem, shocking. The king's son's name is Shechem, shocking again. So there's a lot here that plays into the next episode and, and a few chapters later, it plays in again. This is This is a land... And a city that plays into Jacob's story. But Jacob camps and he builds shelters. And it says in in the oral traditions that these sheds are at, at, I guess we would call them like like lean-to's. It's the first time that people see that in this region. And it was probably something that Jacob had learned in his travels uh, in Mesopotamia. It was something that he learned could be very helpful for the animals because it created shade in places where there wasn't any. And it created a place of shelter at night, rather than just penning them up—you know, pen, penning up the animals using either thorns or rocks. Uh, it was actually like a legitimate pen, and it was easy to protect. And they were sheltered from the a periodic deluge that would have come during rainy season, and they were sheltered from the from the sun during the day. You could run them back into the into these pens. So. It, this land became dotted with shelters and this land became impacted by Jacob's invention or innovation in the in the raising of uh, of cattle and sheep and uh, other herds but when it when he establishes residency he bought land he establishes his residency which is unlike abraham and when it says that he was there, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem. That's verse 18. That word safely means intact. And and I know, I know a lot of preachers don't do this kind of work, which is fine. I don't fault them. But this is why sometimes I read stuff and I think, wait, I don't remember anybody ever saying this. When it says intact, it's not just that he arrived okay. It's that everything about him had been supernaturally restored. So the livestock that he had given given away was replaced to him. In other words, uh, probably through either supernatural or or some sort of major uh, birthing activity that occurred, everything he had given to Esau was replaced to him, and physically everything was restored. And that means he had no limp. Everything was intact. That word "safely" means everything. He arrived intact, complete, whole. Missing nothing, no flaws, when he came to the city of Shechem. That's what the that's what the language supports. Everything was restored, everything was as it was. Now the altar means, like I said, God of Israel. It means Holy One. Blessed is He, the one who named Israel. The one who named Israel. That's what it means. He he is just blessing God for giving him a new identity, for giving him a new place to live, for restoring everything that was that was, you know, given away, taken away, or injured. Everything was back to the way it was, the way it should be, which is the way God loves to bring things. So many times his favor is seen at the end of a hard, difficult journey, and we think God was part of the hard, difficult journey, like he wanted us to go through all that difficulty. Not necessarily true. I believe God is like, I'm here through the whole thing, and I override all of it with my goodness. There's a, there's a phrase in a worship song that's like this, "A story isn't over if the story isn't good. It's a great phrase, and here I see it again illustrated in Scripture. The story isn't over till the story is good, and here we see the goodness of this trip, and now we know the trip is over. Now, in the story of Jacob is it over? And we will see the rest, not the rest of it. We'll see the next epi- the next part, the next stage, the next the next few steps of the journey of Jacob. Next episode on the epic narrative. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob thoughts. All right. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, depending on when you're listening. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Some thoughts from today. This is what this is what hit me today. Um, we're kind of in the holiday season at the time of this recording. It's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and what I'm reminded of during this time, of course, is family. Family gets together. Now, if you follow me closely, you know that we're currently living our life out of an RV. So we will be with uh, one of our children uh, during, during the, at least uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> we, or, and, and uh, we'll see how Christmas goes, but, but so many people travel and connect with family and sometimes that can really bring high expectations that end up not being met and you have this opportunity to adjust like, how how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And I'm thinking specifically of Esau, who clearly, when he saw his brother, loved on his brother, wanted to be around his brother, wanted to bring his brother home, wanted to protect his brother, wanted... Like, there's just... To me, there's a lot of indication that Esau had found a road to forgiveness and wanted to restore connection with his brother. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that you couldn't... um Imagine it going to otherwise, like maybe Esau. You you could look at that and say, well, Esau wanted to greet his brother, and then he wanted to bring his brother home and protect his brother because he wanted to control him, which is the way I think um, Jacob saw it. He saw it as, as like, I can't go with my brother because I'm going to end up just being indebted to him. Or people will look around and be like, it's Esau's fault that I'm wealthy. It's Esau's fault that I'm protected. It's Esau's fault that my family's taken care of and I want to make sure it's me and God because I'm the one who holds the, the covenant. I'm the one that holds the blessing. So all that I know complicates everything and that's what's true about any time you're with family. It's complicated because it's relational and it's blood. When it's just a relational thing, like a best friend, you can, you can in essence, walk away from a friendship. Now, what, what you do with it is uh, afterwards is your issue, but Family, you kind of can't. Like, at some level, in some way, somebody's going to track you down and say, hey, is so-and-so your brother? Is so-and-so your uncle? And you're going to have to say, like, yep, they are. And I picture Esau, as, as I stated already, I think he had high expectations when he greeted his brother. I think he had restor- restoration and forgiveness in his heart. I think uh, he wanted... He just he just wanted to make things right, and Jacob held back. Jacob wasn't as enthusiastic. Jacob was honoring. Jacob was kind. Jacob Jacob was, you know, in conversation. Jacob didn't you know he wasn't rude or or obnoxious. He didn't do anything that would that would cause you know um, any sort of like physical altercation. Or someone to throw the you know throw the the mashed potatoes across the table, but uh, it is interesting to me that in the end Esau left and Jacob literally went the other way. Like he was like, yeah, I'm not even going to go close to the property, to the area that Esau is in control of. I'm going to go my own way. And although I appreciate that from a strategic standpoint, part of me wonders how did Esau Interact with that when he's waiting, because remember Jacob said, "I'll follow you. I got to just go slower because of my my um, flocks and my women and children and uh, you know I got I got to take it slow." How did Esau feel a week later, two weeks later, and he starts to hear that his brother has moved into and purchased you know purchased property and moved into an area that isn't anywhere near. Esau. Now did they have conversations uh, maybe did they send messages? maybe uh, you know these are these are these are things you can imagine. but Esau would have had a choice and this is this is what my thought was around. he would have had a choice. do I get offended by my brother's actions? Do I hold this against him after all the things he's done for me is do I add this to the list or do I forgive him? Again, do I restore, do I allow for conversation to take place again? And that's something all of us have to decide anytime, anytime relationship and or more specifically family doesn't meet our expectation or in some cases maybe overwhelms us in in, in what they provide, overwhelms our expectation. And we think, what am I gonna do with this? I would encourage you not to be offended. I personally think anytime you you get a rise of of offense within you, it's an invitation from the Lord to say, let's look at where this is coming from because this is an area that you have an opportunity for promotion. You have an opportunity to become more complete and whole because I believe you choose to be offended. I'm not saying something happens around you isn't offensive. Yes, absolutely. But hanging on to offense, becoming bitter, uh, hanging on to unforgiveness, those are those are your choices. And you can't look at the other person and, and blame them because that means you're a victim, which means you're also still offended. If that is your choice. You can't blame the people around you when your expectations aren't met. You can't can't blame the people around you when they fail at something that you think should be so easy for them to come through on. What you do with that is your your opportunity. And sometimes it's an opportunity to go back into that relationship and, and walk it out with them so that maybe the next time it goes differently. But how you communicate and where you communicate from like do you communicate from a place of offense there's a lot of people that are so offended right they go into these family events and they're they've you know been texting emailing and having conversations for the last 4 weeks over what they want everyone to perform as so that they are not offended those are those are scary people to me cuz i think oh my gosh what are they hanging on to And sometimes I think I would love to sit with them and spend some time with them just because what an opportunity they have to start releasing this control and releasing this offense. And how much freer and peaceful and hope-filled could their lives be if they released it? Now, I don't know what Esau did, and I don't know what you guys are doing, but I do know this. My thoughts today are with you and your families and the relationships you have, and that if anybody didn't meet your expectation, I I pray that you will not hold offense against them, that you will not play a victim, and that you will release forgiveness and restoration to them should you ever see them again, even if it's next year for the holidays. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming, and I'll see you again next week.